Hey, I'm Monse, and this is Musings of the Artist, a podcast where I have meaningful conversations with all kinds of artists. In this episode, I'm speaking with Grammy-nominated songwriter and author Mary Gaucher. She has a gift of making outsiders feel like insiders, which is a beautiful thread throughout her new memoir, Saved by a Song. We talk about making a life out of being creative, the vulnerability of performing, the beauty and wonder of being a late bloomer, and why the maybes we get are actually worse than the no's. Hearing her experience singing with the late John Prine, I think is going to give you goosebumps. It was such a joy to speak with Mary, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Busy and crazy and running around and it's uh, all good, but oh my God. I was going to ask, I imagine it must be insane because this is your first time releasing a book, right? So, and you're just, you're just doing like book tours online and everything, or some of them are in person or how's that been? Uh, well, um, I've done quite a few online events uh, and uh, a few in-person events. Um, and we're mostly, um, right now doing makeup tour dates. So combining combining the book, uh, with, uh, the tour dates that we're, we're making up, uh, from, uh, cancellations from last year. Wow. Of course. Okay. So you've probably never been busier in your life. (laughs) I've never been busier in my life. (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you for making time to do this talk with me. Of course. Thanks for asking. You know, Mary, I was thinking about our last conversation, which really stayed with me. It was like about a year ago, maybe a little longer. And uh, I remember that you were telling me that you, you know, we were right in the middle of lockdown and and uh, sort of the earlier days of the pandemic. Um, and you were talking about how you were really um, uh, focusing in, on your garden and, you know, watching, having the chance to watch your zucchini and tomatoes change, you know, little by yeah, little. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it made me think to ask you, my, my first question for you today is I wanted to ask you, you know, so much has happened for you recently. And, you know, of course, we had the pandemic or we're still in it. Um, and then you um, have just released a memoir. And I'm wondering, you know, what comes to mind when I ask you, like, what are the ways that you've changed this past year? You know, I don't have good perspective on that. Um uh, there's, there's not a easy answer for that. Cause, uh, I'm still in it. Um, yeah. uh, I, I think that the changes inside me are subtle, uh, and there's no big, um, um, sort of, um, glaring difference in how I am. But I, I have been uh, more patient with people, I think, more aware of people's struggle, uh, mm-hmm. more uh, in touch with, like we flew in last night, or I flew in last night from Houston. I left Houston at 5. I got home at almost 2 a.m. Um, wow. Everything was just a mess. And when we finally got to Nashville, we waited on the tarmac for two hours and then uh, waited for bags uh, for almost two hours. Uh, and in the old days, I just would have been livid and yeah. 
today I'm like, man, everybody's doing the best they can. And it's really hard right now. Um, and I just was able to muster patience for the situation in a strangely adult way that, um, is not really something I was great at before. Mm. I think I'm aware of people's, um, of pain. I mean, I always have been, but yep. I just know that right now the people who are showing up to work are working hard and, um, and they're being handed a lot. Like those guys unloading the planes last night, they held the planes on the tarmac for a long time because we couldn't get gates because there was a weather event here in Nashville. And so then when the planes started coming in, there were hundreds of them. And this this crew of guys, you know, I know they're working as hard as they can. And the very best they could do was two hours. Um, And I just stood there. You know, other people were you know, livid and outraged. And I'm thinking, I bet those guys are doing the best they can. And I'm about to get mad about this. There's always problems when you travel. That's the nature of travel. And I don't know, I'm acting in a weird way, more like an adult. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And it's also, it's really nice when you sort of have that realization and it's like self-awareness of that, you know? Because it's amazing. You're reminding me of like a before times because I've only just started traveling again. And just the memories are flashing to me as you're saying that of, you know, of course, we all got frustrated when there's hours delayed and all these things are not going right. But I remember this one time where these, this man was getting just so nasty with these poor people that work at the airport. And she said, that's so unnecessary. Because like you said, you know, people are doing the best they can. And I just think that that's a reflection of the anger and sadness in that person. You know what I mean? So it's like, it takes a lot of self-reflection to be like, okay, like, you know, I don't, I don't need to get worked up here. You know? And yeah, I, I think, I think in the past I would restrain myself yeah. And and know that that kind of behavior was was just um self-centered and 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 abusive uh and and I would restrain myself but last night I mean I didn't have to restrain myself like I just mm. felt calm. I was like, "Well, you just wait this out and and you get home when you get home and and um uh you know, be glad to 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 have made the trek and gotten to Nashville. It, it, you'll get your bag eventually. I think that not having that internal combustion uh, go off was really uh that's kind of new for me. That's exciting. Always, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I'm always in a hurry and I'm I'm multitasking like crazy like most artists. Uh and I am doing a lot of people's jobs like most artists. Uh, and I had a long list of things to do because I'm only home for two days. Um, and, but I just let it go. I didn't focus on that. I tried to focus on the truth of people doing the best that they can. And I'll get to mine. I don't know. That's the big change. And, and it's subtle. It yeah. doesn't look like a change. It's an internal thing. That's a great answer. And I love that. And it's it, it sort of, you're making me think of just your book as a whole. There's There's tons of those little shifts that you show us like you know in in sort of those internal shifts um and it was really inspiring to me and i was thinking about how you know this book that i have right next to me um your book is called saved by a song and it's um i i just i you know i read it 
went right through it. Um, I read it slowly, but, but quickly too, you know, um, because I loved it so much. And I think it's a gift for so many people, but especially I think you make, you have this gift here of making outsiders feel like insiders. And I was thinking about, like, you know, I was curious about if you, in writing this book specifically, that you had that intention as you were writing, or was it just like a wonderful side effect of telling your truth? Yeah, thanks for that question, and thanks for the kind words about about the book. Um, I think that is what I do, and I don't know if it's altogether intentional, but I have always um, been that person. Um, I'm not even sure it's conscious. Um, and, and one of the great uh, realizations I had early on is that everybody feels like outsiders at some point. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, the, um, the, the sense of, of, uh, of, of, uh, joining in with outsiders and becoming insiders by virtue of being outsiders is the theme of my life, I think. Mm. Um, And so I speak to it just naturally. Yeah. It, It reminds me a little bit of, um, I mean, I just love, I love that so much. And it reminds me of Lydia Yuknovich. Do you know her? I don't. Oh, I'm going to email you some links. Oh, <laughs> she's, um, she's an author, a writer, and um, she wrote the Misfits Manifesto. And she has a TED Talk on that too. And it's, it's sort of, I think you two have a lot of that, that in common, you know, of, of really helping people that feel like on the outside just feel, um, feel seen, you know, um, it's, it's a beautiful gift to give people. And yeah, I'm going to send you some of her stuff. Cause I think you'll really relate to that. Oh, it sounds really interesting to me. Thank you. So I also wanted to ask you this really, one of my favorite parts of your book, um, among many, but there's this page, it's on page 120. Um, there's this part where you're talking about, you have this beautiful story of, um, as a performer, always closing your eyes, um, when you perform, um, I think out of, you know, anxiety or uh, being afraid of being seen, right? And and you write in this in this part of the book about one time that you didn't, that you felt that you needed the people in that room to be seen. And it seems that in doing that, it made you feel seen and understood in return. So I wanted to ask you if you could tell me a bit more about that experience and, and what it taught you about vulnerability. Yeah, great question. Um, that's a passage in the book. Uh, where I describe playing at the Nashville Rescue Mission. Uh, and uh, the Re- Nashville Rescue Mission um, is uh, a homeless shelter for men. Uh, and it's faith-based, uh, and it's always full. Um, and I was asked to perform with the gospel, uh, as, uh, along with the gospel uh, family band. Um, uh, and what they wanted me to do was sing Mercy Now. And uh, when I got on stage, uh, the band sat down, and it was just me and my guitar. And uh, in that scenario, I was probably in front of five or 600 people. The room was packed. Uh, the guys were all homeless and in many ways just, just, just beat up by life, by pain, by struggle, by, by health issues, by mental illness, by addiction, um, just so much, so much uh, um, uh, pain in front of me. And when I looked out, I knew, I just instinctively knew that there was no way I could close my eyes uh, as I sang because uh, it would be disrespectful. 
And uh, that had never occurred to me before, mm. uh, that I couldn't close my eyes on these people who have, who have been ignored and have been passed by so many times. This felt like the moment where I had to meet eye contact when I sang, and I had weirdly never done that before. Um, it is terrifying to me to make eye contact with people as I sing. Yeah. Uh, Towns Van Zant used to say, the reason I close my eyes is because the audience doesn't. If they close theirs, I wouldn't have to. <laughs> right. <It> makes sense. <laughs> There's an intimacy to singing for some of us, uh, and I'm one of them, that just feels so vulnerable. Um, um, and, and other folks who are vocal gymnasts, uh, vocalists of great stature, they sing with their eyes open because they know what their sound is and they know that it's impressing people. Uh, my vocal sound does not impress people. Um, I, I'm good enough, but I don't wow an audience. In the book, I describe it as not having a sonic fig leaf to hide behind. And the voice is vulnerable. It's an intimate part of, of your body. It sits deep in the throat next to the heart. And um, gosh, you know, it was a, a real uh, um, emotional experience for me to meet the eyes of, of several homeless men directly and have them send me a shot of their love mm. uh, through their eyes. Wow. Uh, and I describe a moment where there's a guy who only has one eye. Uh, the other eye was, uh, was, was not there and his skin was grafted over where his other eye would be. Uh, mm. And yet his one eye worked just fine for sending love and yes, vibe and, mm. and a sense of keep going, sister, we need you to sing. And that was just so beautiful for me. That's such a beautiful story. And, and it reminds me too of, of what you share about working with soldiers, you know, and, and just that 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 um, exchange of vulnerability that you have between you and them. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, you know, I'm just curious. There's a part. There's a line that I have underlined here um, in that same uh, passage where you're talking about this about this moment. Um, and you said, "I realized there was nothing to fear here tonight. No need to protect my heart." And you know, um, and maybe I want to ask you if you had this like revelatory moment, you know, here and, and you you were able to, to really open, open yourself up there and let yourself feel vulnerable. And are there times, other times since then that, you know, you know, that it's not a safe place to feel vulnerable and to, and you do sort of go revert back to that feeling of trying to protect your heart. Oh yeah. I revert back a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, when the audience is drinking and it's a bar and people are are half with me and half uh, in their cups, um, that doesn't feel. I feel like I look. I look um, at people's faces in the front row who are paying attention, but I don't go eye to eye throughout the room. I'm just. I'm a. I'm a skittish kind of singer. Um, and, uh -huh. um, um, but I, I, from that moment on, I, I, I do try to make eye contact with a couple of people every night. That's great. Yeah. I just, it's just, I thought about it because, you know, it's something I think about a lot and I'm not, I'm not a um, performer, but I think, um, just in life, right? Like you have to kind of, sometimes you have to read the room and figure out 
is this a safe place for me to really be raw and vulnerable? Because sometimes it's not, the answer is no, right? Sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. there's a, um, there's a, uh, 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 a wall that people have that I can't break down, yeah. uh, especially in a high drinking environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't play a lot of those kind of places anymore. I play listening rooms. Um, and uh, when I do play bars, they're seated uh, and people are paying attention. So uh, it's not like I play to, to a lot of drunk people, especially in the United States. Uh, that's just not my reality anymore. But, but when, when, when there is uh uh, liquor flowing. Um, I'm not the right person. I'm not singing about the stuff that, uh, feeds the excitement level of people. My stuff's pretty, uh, story based. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not get up and dance kind of stuff. Yeah. You have to really listen. I mean, yeah. to get the impact, right. It's like, you want to, yeah. your music does that. The, the one time I was in a room in a, in a very small room, actually, where you're performing, I mean, you really like had me, you're my full attention. And I think you just naturally do that with people because your, your power is in the story and you're just a natural storyteller. Um, that's clear. <laughs> you know, I mean, anyone would, that knows you or knows your, your work would, would know that about you. It's just, and the way that you, that you are able to um, give a voice to other people's stories in a way that's so powerful. I just, it really, um, um, just moves me on such a deep level, you know, and reading your story and just, you know, hearing the songs that you co-wrote, collaborated with others on, like, what a gift that you help people, like, it's like you're elevating them to, and, and their story in a way that maybe they w wouldn't have had the courage to do otherwise. Yeah, it feels like the right use of my, uh, of my talent is to help tell uh, not just my story, but the story, the stories of the people who live in the time that we live. It connects me to people. Yeah. Which, which is great. I love that, that it's a social uh, moment that uh, is meaningful. It's not, uh, you know, I call it cocktail party conversation. It's, it's, it's yeah. actually meaningful. You strike me as somebody who probably doesn't like small talk. But I you love small talk. Yeah, me too. So much. <laughs> I'm the same way. And I just, I'm like, yeah, I know Mary must be like that too. Oh, it makes me yeah. feel like I need to jump out the window. You it makes know. me feel trapped. Yes. Yeah. And it's so exhausting too because it's, it drains right? you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, this other big question I want to ask you, and I remember we talked about this the last time in our last interview. Um, we talked about you releasing this book. You said you're almost 60, right? You're like 59. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so shocking to me, but I'll be 60 <laughs> in March. Yeah. You're still young. It's still, you know. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, I feel like more and more, maybe because I'm about to turn 40 and I'm or close to turning 40 and I feel like the I'm just really noticing more the messaging out there. It's just, there's this, this really ridiculous narrative at least in this culture, that it's like, you know, oh my gosh, if you, if you like start over or do something, you know, different after 40, like it's so brave and all these different things. And it's just, it's like, it's like, you know, this whole, all these lists that we have of 30 under 30, this fixation with youth, you know? Um, and I just, I just love that you own this, that you're like, yeah, I'm, and you started really, 
um, this, you, you kind of found your real calling, I think when you were in your late thirties or forties or early forties. And, um, and I just, I'm so, we need more of these stories and people to talk about it and normalize it because it's like, that's where it's at. You know, <laughs> it's like, I think it's such a gift to be able to find what you're meant to do at any age, even if you're 75 or 80, you know, when it happens. Um, and I just, I wanted to ask you just, you know, for anybody listening to this, who is a, a middle age or older, you know, and, and they, they want, they're thinking about starting over in a different, going in a different direction in their life. Um, what, what would you say to them? Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm a late bloomer. And I love that. Um, yeah. I don't want, I, you know, I feel bad for people who peaked in high school. Yeah, totally. And many did. Many did. Um, um, I was uh, uh, trained to be a chef. Um, uh, worked in restaurants through my 20s uh, and well into my 30s. Um, I started writing songs in my late uh, 20s after I got sober, started playing open mics in my mid 30s, um, and moved to Nashville at 40 to become a full time songwriter. So I really started at 40 in the music business. Yeah. Um, and so I've been, you know, 20 years at it. And um, uh, now that I'm 60, I'm so glad that I had that other life before. Yeah. Um, and also there's a, a great confidence that comes with restarting, um, and trying something else. You know, I had three restaurants. I, I ran the, uh, um, the, 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 you know, the flag up the pole three times and succeeded three times. And, yeah. uh, and I didn't want to maintain restaurants really. I like starting businesses. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the things that pulled me to this uh, because there's no um, uh, you start restart every time you write a new song. There's no guarantee. Uh, I, there's no maintaining. Uh, there's mm -hmm. there's really the creative process. Uh, and then you create again and then you create again and then you create again. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I love the. Uh, I love the challenge of it. Uh, yeah, I was terrified uh, walking away from businesses that worked into a extremely uh, uh, um, sort of unsecure job of being an artist. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to make it. I didn't know if I was going to succeed. I didn't know if I had what it took. But I knew that if I didn't give it my all, I would never know. Mm -hmm. And one of the great joys for me in retrospect is that I had nothing to lose. Um, I was living on borrowed time anyway, having gotten sober, I realized, oh my God, I should be dead. So um, this is all just free time I've been given. But the way I was drinking and using drugs, I should be dead. And this free time I've been given, what the hell, let's do something else with it. I didn't, I didn't enjoy the restaurants anymore. And I was really passionate about learning how to become a, a good songwriter. So followed my passion to, to Nashville and it's worked out for me. Um, I mean, I'm not a hit songwriter and I'm not uh, a best seller of anything, but I have a great career. Yeah. Uh, it's not in the charts, 
uh, but I have long-term viability and I have yeah. the ability to work all over the world. Uh, yeah. And I feel like it's not going to go away. It's not age-based. Yes. And that's the thing, right? With these, like, really when people are saying, oh, like you're quote unquote too old, not you, but just the general you, you know, I, I think it's like they're, they're pointing that at like pop stars or, you know, certain genres of things, but it's like, that's only a teeny percentage of artists, you know? That's right. Um, so yeah. And, and I think that's, that's the, that for me, that's like the most desired thing to, to be able to do is just like be able to have that opportunity, opportunity to create and create and not have that pressure of having to maintain some specific look or some specific um, formula, you know? Um, and yeah, so I, I just, I love your story. And I also love the message in it of just, you know, taking that leap because I don't know, I think when we look back, at least I, at least from my own, I can speak of my own, from my own experience, looking back on all the times I left something, there's times I left something that I wasn't unhappy in, but that there was a bigger calling, you know, pushing me forward to something else. And if I had just, I think so many people sometimes just rest in that sort of state of just settling for something because they're scared of what could be on the other side. Um, but it never, I don't know. I think like you said, it's, if you don't make that jump, you may live with that fear or regret of not having tried. Yeah, I mean, I work uh, with adult songwriters all the time. I got a workshop coming up this weekend, uh, and people are coming to me in their 60s, uh, late 50s, um, having had the call to song their whole life. Yeah. But but put it aside because they felt as though it was uh, uh, not uh, going to pay the bills. Yeah. Uh, but uh, 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 that calling continues to haunt them and dog them. And I'm, I'm going to work with them and help them to become good songwriters. Yeah. Uh, not to make a career out of it, but to make a life out of being creative. Yes. Yes. And oh my gosh, I think, you know, most, if not all of us have that creativity inside and it is, I think it's life changing to nurture it, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Being creative is our birthright. Yeah, exactly. You know, my dad is, um, I, I think he's in his mid sixties. Um, and he just about a year or two ago started taking bass lessons and he is the happiest I've ever seen him. He loves it so much. And, you know, he's really taking it seriously and he's not trying to get famous off of it but he but it brings him so much joy you know yeah yeah maybe get in a band and and have these nights of just glory and joy playing with other people you know totally totally yeah well thank you for that um i want to ask you this question i ask everybody which is what is an act of kindness that you've received in your life that felt transformative in some way or had a had an impact on you um, well, that's such a good question. Uh, you know, when I was in trouble with drugs in Baton Rouge, um, a friend of mine, um, who I had met at a bar, uh, we met at a bar when we were just teenagers and we were both underage at the bar. Uh, and we found out just talking to each other that we were both adopted from St. Vincent's in New Orleans. Uh, and this bonded me to Sydney. Uh, and I, I feel bonded to him for life. Um, so I was in trouble with drugs working at a bar. 
uh, in Baton Rouge. Sydney had left Louisiana, moved to Boston. Um, and uh, he, he called me one night and I was just a mess. Uh, and he said, I'm renting you an apartment here in Boston and you're moving, you're getting out of Baton Rouge. It's going to kill you down there. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was right when AIDS was hitting hard. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the uh, early, uh, late eighties. Um, and uh, uh, he rented me an apartment in Boston and, and, and uh, uh, took care of all that mm. for me. And I left Baton Rouge, and I think he might have saved my life. Mm. Wow. Wow, what a story. Thank you for sharing that. And what so a friend, huh? Yeah. But then you've given it back, you know, too. It's, it's like it's so clear that you – that's what I love about asking this question is like it's, it's just like a ripple effect, you know? Yeah, it's a chain reaction that you can't measure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow. And also, by the way, I didn't tell you this earlier, but I um, spent many years of my life in Boston. I, and I went to college and grad school there at Berkeley, actually. Um, and uh, so I loved reading about your time in Boston. I don't think I knew that about you either earlier on. So <laughs> it was cool to read. I miss Boston sometimes. Yeah. I really do. It's a great city. It really is. It is great. I have, a, yeah, a lot of good memories there. And it's, there's just something about it that you, you can't find anywhere else, you know? It's, <laughs> it's a great city. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, another question I ask everybody lately is, uh, how do you work through rejection? And that could be rejection of any kind. Oh, it happens all the time. Well, None of us are immune from that. <laughs> yeah, you got you to feel the feelings uh, and um, sort of work through the the, um, the pain of it. Um, and then get back to work. You know, that, that's just part of it. I, I, uh, I think that if you're going to be, especially in the creative arts and music, there'll be more rejection than acceptance. Yep. Um, and so, um, uh, I often, uh, tell myself it's not personal. People are busy. Um, or, you know, I'm, I'm just, an, I'm not for them. And that's cool. Most things aren't for me either. Yep. Uh, uh, and um, sometimes it's good to know that the answer is no. Uh, the maybes are what would make you crazy. Yes. You know, <laughs> just close the door if it's a no so I can move on. Yep. Work through the feelings and go get what I need from somewhere else. Oh, that is such a good point. The maybes, that's where you get into trouble and feeling the feelings and getting confused and not knowing. Yeah. 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 Just, just go ahead and say no, if that's the answer. Yes. Then, then, then uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, 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 uh, we're, when we protect people's feelings by not saying the truth, what we do is drag things out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, um, um, I'd rather have just an honest answer and then let's, let's, let's move on. Yep. Even though it's painful, it, it, it's always going to hurt, but it doesn't kill me. I mean, you get used to it in this business. It's just Absolutely. Any, like you said, any art, anywhere in the arts. I was, I'm in an um, MFA and writing program right now. And one of the, we had a visiting um, author coming to talk and he said, he, he, this was like sort of the, the premise of his talk. And he said, 99% of being a writer is getting rejected, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, and 
you have to keep going and in, in order to get to if you you know just in order to make any sort of um stamp you know in the in the artistic world i mean i think you the people that that do quote unquote make it in any way you know are ones who have to persevere despite of that because it's so easy to get knocked down from the nose but there's going to be so many of them so yeah there's going to just be uh things that aren't paired right that's okay yeah yeah exactly and i like what you said too about just remembering it's like you're not for everybody and everybody's not for you you know and no you're trying to find uh, your people you're trying to find what works you're trying to find uh, energetically what fits yes exactly amen (laughs) yeah it's a process of elimination totally um, okay, so I have one more question for you that's a writing question, and then I want to just ask you some of um, like rapid-fire type questions. Okay. Um, so this is a little bit nitty-gritty about you know the writing process, but I was really uh, intrigued by this. So y- you write somewhere in the book, I think, about writing. You have like an idea sparked, and you write it on a napkin for later. And it really made me think about like how so often – I don't know, I, we, or I, at least I have these big ideas floating and simmering around even for years. And like, I want to write about this thing, right? Like a, a, a theme, like friendship, like friendship heartbreak. I want to write about that, but I don't know what that's going to look like. And then all of a sudden, like two years later, I'm walking down the street and boom, this like scene flashes in my mind and I like know what I want to write. And you're, you writing about this made me think about, about that. Um, and I was just curious as a creative, you know, an artist, you know, how do you organize and capture these sparks as they come to you? Well, I'll write down uh, words or thoughts that feel like they should be in a song. Um, In the book, I talk about knowing in the back of my mind for decades that I wanted to write a concept record called The Foundling, but I didn't know what it meant. Right. Uh, And I just had to wait it out. Um, And then I played a show in New Orleans and the promoter just, I don't even know how the hell this all happened, but she drove me to the orphanage I was adopted from. And I had never been there. I had never imagined it was still there. I had never put a moment of thought in it. I knew I came from St. Vincent's, but I didn't know what that meant. And I never ever uh, would have gone down that road, but she just drove straight there. And, um, and that opened up the, the story to me when we walked in that spooky place yeah um that's the beginning of me being dropped on the road to writing the foundling and i think a lot of the big stuff you we write works that way yeah it marinates for years and years and then life suddenly yes. um, goes in a direction that that allows us to expand on the on the uh, original idea totally it, it's sort of like i think almost like a similar process internally as you were just we talked about the, about at the very beginning when you were saying that you know you sort of developed this new muscle and and you just sort of noticed it it was a subtle shift right it's almost like something like that inside where right. it's like slowly working and then suddenly one day you're realizing like oh this is it or this is changed in me you know or shifted and so noticing yeah it's dormant and then it comes fully alive yeah yeah that's beautiful Uh, what is one of your favorite books I've got probably 10,000 books in my house like me I love that (laughs) I have so many books in my house 
Um, I just finished a book about the great Galveston hurricane at the turn of the century, which remains uh, the uh, single most deadly natural disaster in the United States. Over 8,000 people died, and it's called Isaac's Storm. I just thought that was wow. captivating. I don't know if it's my favorite book, but it sure has stuck with me. Yeah. I like A Prayer for Owen Meany. He's one of my oh, favorite Oh, yes. Books. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, John yeah, Irving is one of my favorite writers. He's amazing. That was gifted to me by an ex-boyfriend like from high school. I remember that book well from that. <laughs> I, I just love that book so yeah. much. Yeah, I have to go back and read it. It's been so many years. So good. Yeah, you just reminded me of it. Um, and in general, what kind of books do you gravitate towards? Do you do you have a good genre, a favorite genre? No, I have all kind of different books. Oh, that's great. Uh, I try to toggle between fiction and nonfiction. Yeah, I tend to migrate towards nonfiction, but oh god, a great fiction book is heaven. Yes, yes, exactly. I, I my favorite is sort of the fiction books that that almost read like like nonfiction in a sense that like they feel like it's so real. Yeah. Right? They bring you know? a world alive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and okay. This is always a hard question to ask a musician, but what's a favorite album or song of yours? Hmm. Tough one. Well, there's, there's classic records that just always remain outside of time. Um, and, uh, uh, there, there's just sort of, uh, the, the returning to certain records over and over again. And I think every artist, when they go make a record, hopes to make a classic record. I mean, that's the goal is to make a record that stays around. Uh, so there's lots of, them. you know, everything from, you know, uh, uh, blood on the tracks, Bob Dylan to Stevie Wonder's songs in the key of life, uh, mm -hmm. You know, Carol King Tapestry, uh, Nirvana, never mind. Uh, there's so many um, uh, to choose from. Um, I've got thousands and thousands of CDs. I, I'm never going to get rid of them. I got rid of my vinyl and I hate myself. Oh. My, my CDs will stay. There you go. Yeah. You know, what? I, I, I forgot to mention to you how much I loved how you brought in so many voices in your book of, you know, your, your musical and literary heroes. Um, and I, I thought it was lovely because I, one of my favorite things to do, um, I don't know, especially with memoirs, I, my, the first place I go, um, which is going to sound really weird, but I go right to the acknowledgments at the end because I, I love seeing like who, who the author was influenced by or inspired by, or, you know, who, you know, all that stuff. And I love that, like in your book, you have these little quotes throughout and, and it sort of, it brings these people into your story. And I love, I love that you did that. Yeah, you know, those voices speak to me and they said things that I wish I would have said. That's, you know, you cover a song because you wish you wrote it and you quote a writer because you wish you had written it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, okay, lastly, what is a favorite memory that you have? Hmm. That's a good question. It's, pro it's kind of overwhelming, I think. It's like I think the first time I sang with John Prine, because oh. he looks you right in the eyes when you sing with him the yeah. entire time, and he doesn't look away. Mm. Um, and we sang uh, 
Paradise. Daddy won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County uh, together and uh, traded verses. And he did that with his opening acts uh, historically. And uh, uh, it was like being in a, uh, I don't know, a lightning bolt or something. Mm. Um, that It's a very special memory to me to have shared that with John. Yeah. Several times, many times, many, many nights. He's, it's incredible how much he's impacted just the the level of impact he's had on people's lives, you know, and I never met him, but everyone I know that has, has said just what you've said, you know, just what a, what an incredible soul he was. Oh man. Yeah. The sweetest guy ever. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and thank you for, for this whole conversation. I, as I knew it would, it just, you know, you, you inspire. And I just think you're such a beautiful soul. Um, so thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck with your writing. I wish you, uh, uh, blessed sentences and sacred paragraphs. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Of course. And hopefully I'll see you out on the road someday. Somewhere out there. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Musings of the Artist is audio produced by Aaron Mooring and theme music is by Madison Ward. 